Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Hey church, let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be looking at a part of chapter 4 as well as chapter 5. And think about those words that resound in our hearts and our minds. Christ is enough and everything we need is in him. Peter wrote this incredible letter to encourage churches that were undergoing a period of testing and trial, discouragement and frustration. And we have equated the condition we're in as less about our persecution, but more about some of the sufferings that are taking place due to the changes that are happening in our culture, in our country, in our homes, at our jobs. And I want us to keep our focus on the promise that Peter is offering those who are facing trials are the same promises that you and I hold on to that we lean deeply into. Over the past seven weeks, as we conclude this letter, we're gonna be seeing some of the things that we've talked about. Like we began with our calling and who our calling is in. It's in this Jesus that's more than enough for all of us. Then we looked at things like our call to holiness, our place as a stone in the building of God's kingdom, our citizenship, our submission, our relationships, the community we live in. And then last week we talked about how do we persevere in hope when we are being persecuted and tried for our faith and for our belief. You see, this entire letter that Peter's writing to you and me, even though thousands of years before we even existed, we're being challenged that because of what Jesus was asked to do and what he was willing to pay the price to do those things, all of that is the fulcrum on which our lives change. It's in the work and the hope of Jesus Christ and the work that he's done that we then can place our hope in him. If he can overcome all of that, what can't he overcome in our lives? And the answer is there's nothing he can't overcome. So we balance our lives on the hope of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And now we wanna talk about what he's going to do through us. You see, our victory lies in how much we trust Jesus. Though much was asked and much was suffered, Jesus brought victory. And because of victory, I want to remind you that what he brings us is more than heaven one day. It's newness of life. It's newness of hope. It's newness of power. It's all brought together for us in who Jesus is. So let's talk about just a few things that Peter mentions. The first thing I want to talk about is this new power that's available to us because of the victory of Christ and our hope and faith in him. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead. So they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. There's a lot there that talks about this new power that we have available to us. A couple of points I want to key on in what Peter is challenging us to think about. The first is he tells us to arm ourselves with the same attitude that Jesus had. 
And that attitude seems to be, no price is too great if God calls me to it. No risk is too harsh. And there's no challenge too big if we walk by faith. Jesus chose to trust repeatedly God. He submitted himself to the will of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And there was no price that he was asked to pay that was too great. And it brought a great victory because of his faith in his father. If Jesus would say the words on the cross, not my will, but yours. He was willing to submit himself toward the cross to that purpose. So let's talk like practically as we conclude this series in 1 Peter, let's talk about what this means for our lives, this new power. You see, whenever God tells you, you must do this, he's not giving us busy work. When he tells us we must not do other things, he's not punishing us for past sins. He's giving us what they call an ethical prescription. Let let me explain. I'm gonna explain it biblically and I'm gonna explain it practically in the everyday world because there's no difference actually. When God says don't lie or don't be bitter or don't have sex outside of marriage, don't spend all your life serving your money as if it were your protection. When God tells us that he doesn't want us to break those rules, it's not because he doesn't want us to break those rules, it's because when we break those rules, they break us. It's an ethical prescription. When we violate what God knows is best, God is telling us he knows what that'll do to us and it's not what we think it will. It destroys us. Now, on a practical application, I learned as a young child this, don't put a fork in an electric outlet. Now, that's based on the nature of my human physiology and the power of electricity. Now, now, did that rule control me? Yes, because I wanted to figure out why I couldn't put a fork in an outlet or a knife in an outlet. I learned one time, you don't put a knife to fish out a piece of toast. I learned my lesson. And in light of all that, what I learned was my physiology and electricity don't mix well. And when I broke that rule, that rule was not controlling me. That rule was protecting me. And the question of our hope is, can we trust that when God tells us there are things we should do, that there is a blessing for doing those? It's not actually a reward. It's just God knowing how we're equipped. And when God tells us not to do something, it's not that God wants to keep us from having a good time, but God actually knows that when we break his rules, they break us. And he loves us too much to allow that to happen without good warning, without loving trust. See, God does not give us busy work. God is giving us soul work. And so the things that Peter's calling us to is about a new power that's available to us to overcome the things of the flesh so that we can live the life of the spirit, not disconnected from our flesh, but actually living this out as we talked about last week so that the world will know when the world is hard on us and we still hold out in hope, that may be the greatest testimony you and I ever give when we should quit and we choose not to. Why? Because everything is based on who we believe Jesus Christ is and what he's able to do in and through each one of us. Peter even says in verse one, this statement, whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Interesting, what could Peter mean there? Well, you see, it's it's become natural for us to sin, but that doesn't mean it has to be normal. And he's telling us that when we suffer and find that our hope is rewarded in Jesus Christ, that our appetite by feeding on the spiritual goodness of God's faithfulness, our appetite for sinful things will become lesser. Many of our appetites in this world are simply based on what we can control and what we open ourselves to. Yet Peter is saying, and he knows this, doesn't he? If you know Peter's story, you know he knows this, that Jesus' faithfulness, when often unappreciated, 
doesn't make it any less powerful. And when Peter understood who Jesus was, it changed and he began to have a living hope being built into this eternal kingdom that God is establishing here on earth. You see, our appetites for garbage are, dis- are d- diminished when we begin to actually feed on the word of life and we experience its goodness. And when we endure things like suffering and trial and difficulty, we're actually realizing the power and strength available to us, a new power, a resurrection power. We live by a new power found in the resurrection that to overcome sin and death and to begin to live alive, living by something so much more powerful than anything we've ever experienced before. You see, I constantly wanna remind us, it is so easy to get into behavior management If I just stop doing bad, I'll start doing good. And I want you to understand that it's not just about not doing bad things. It's about actually experiencing the life that allows us to live and follow after Jesus. There's something only the Holy Spirit can bring to us. It's the sanctifying work of salvation that not only keeps us from being punished, but actually teaches us how to live. Michael talked about that a few weeks ago in the message on holiness. You see, what I want you to understand is there is an immortality to our hope. An immortality that says, even if this life does not work out the way I think it should, and even if I don't catch the breaks I need, and even if my life should end for the cause of the kingdom, I have an immortality in my hope that if Jesus Christ walked out of the grave and he promised me the same thing, I can too. And then you're living a new life. Not tied to happiness, not tied to the things of the world, and not tied to our control. If this Life I live ends tragically. It will still end beautifully because Jesus Christ promised. The second thing I want us to look at is the new life. You see, not only the new power to live, but to what this new life can be for us. Let's look at verses seven and nine, or seven through nine rather. Now notice that Peter begins, verse seven, with a statement connected to the judgment that he talked about in verse six that everyone will stand before God and be judged, the good and the bad. The good will be rewarded for their faith and those that have chosen to walk away from faith can only be judged for the brokenness of their lives that that refused to surrender. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Peter says that our lives are temporary. They are just a mist. And because of that, he's gonna give us three things that he asks us to focus on because of the power available to us. These are sustaining things about the lives that we live. He's offering a a note of warning, once again, that the way God's prescriptions work are for our good, to raise us up. Even in the midst of what Satan intends for evil, God will bring victory. You see, within these verses, we find specific commands. The first is found in verse seven when he says, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. If I could translate this, and it's an awkward translation, so all the Greek scholars will roll their eyes, but let them. I want you to understand the import of this. If you can take verse seven, I want you to hear it this way. Don't spend your life entertaining yourself into numbness. This is a spiritual war we're living in the midst of. Be sober, be alert. He even says for the enemies prowling around looking for someone to devour. So I don't say that to be scared, but take this seriously. This is not a life of entertainment and just filling ourselves up with the things of the world so that we don't feel any of the real pressures of life. No, it's to lean into this. And instead of looking for entertainment to appease our souls, pray. 
oh, prayer is a drudgery, right? It's something that seems weird and it seems otherworldly and I don't know how to engage it because we have turned prayer into something we do instead of an experience we have. Let me say it this way. To pray is not to talk at God. It's to spend time thoughtful about God, to think about God, to contemplate God, to hear the words of scripture and let those represent God to you and remind yourself of who he is and speak to that God. Don't speak to the God who requires that you pray, but speak to the God who allows you to pray. Engage him. Because I I believe this can be found throughout the doctrine of scripture. Our spiritual vitality, to a great degree, depends on our prayer life. And our prayer life depends on our thought life. And the choices we make, or if I can rephrase it, Peter would say, be sober and alert. Don't be numbed by the things of the world. Don't be intoxicated by the things of the world. Instead, be aware that what you are doing is the soul work that changes your future and allows your faith to go deeper and deeper and deeper in discipleship. You think Peter wasn't recollecting back to a night when Jesus asked him if he'd spend the night praying with him? And three different times he looked over and Peter was sound asleep. And Jesus said to Peter that night in the garden found in Matthew 26, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we're being challenged in this new life. Pray, focus on a life that communicates with God regularly, repeatedly, not because you have to, but because we get to. The second thing he challenged us to do is above all, love each other deeply. And that's beautiful. This is what we've been talking about all along, haven't we? We have talked as a, as a congregation, as a church, that is meeting in house churches throughout this community, meeting online and communicating the best we can. We have challenged one another. Let's care for each other. This is what Peter says we're gonna do in the last days. Is those that are grieving and hurting, we grieve and hurt with them. And those that are celebrating, we celebrate with them. We stay connected. And yes, distance is a challenge right now, but here's the good news. The gospel has not ceased. Have you noticed? We're still seeing people making decisions for Jesus. We can still evangelize. We can still share our faith. We can still bless one another. We can still encourage one another. We can still pray for one another. Yeah, we can't gather yet on Sundays, but trust me, the gospel doesn't need us in one location. It needs our faith in every location. So we're challenged. Care for each other deeply. In fact, he says, above all things, choose to love first and demand what you want Second, and then he continues on. He says, because love covers over a multitude of sins. It's just beautiful. What's he talking about? I tend to believe he's talking about forgiveness. You see, love by loving someone doesn't mean that they didn't sin. By loving someone doesn't mean that atonement took place. Jesus loved us while we were sinners, the Bible says, but he still had to die on the cross for his atoning blood to pay the sacrifice of God's just justice. Yet he loved us, and why do we know he loved us? Because he went to that cross and he paid the price that you and I deserve to pay, and he did not deserve to pay, so that we could be forgiven. Because that kind of love, a forgiving, atoning love, covers over a multitude of sins. This does not suggest that love ignores reality. Love handles reality so that it can overcome the work of sin and restore the heart and soul of others. So he's told us to be alert and pray. He's told us to choose love above other things. And then in verse, or in verse nine rather, the third thing he says is offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
It's quite interesting. So hospitality is when you invite your friends over and you, you might play a game of euchre, you might order some pizza, you might watch your favorite movie, whatever you do, and you invite people in. Normally we invite people in that we dig. They dig what we like and they do what we like and we laugh and we hate when the night's over, but we gotta, you know, we gotta get home. But he actually says, no, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Care for others' needs first. Pray, love, and care. I just wanna appreciate each one of you that is reaching out to your neighbor, asking the question, how are you really? Because this is what the church is doing right now. And I think the church is reaching into places it never could have reached into if we would have just been located in one space in Orinoco, Missouri. So wherever you're at, continue, be alert and pray. Love and care for one another. This is the new life we've been called into, the one we enter into because we choose to a new power, a new life, and lastly, a grace-filled connection. That seems like a preacher's statement, doesn't it? A grace-filled connection. You see, the beautiful thing of what we're entering into in this new kingdom is none of us deserve to be in here. Nobody is in here on their own worth. All of us look at each other and realize we are connected by the blood of Jesus Christ and we are all unworthy. Verse 10, Peter says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Peter says God has gifted each one of us and the reason he's building us into this building off the cornerstone of Jesus is to do an amazing work and it's all service. There's, there's, no, there's no lazy boys in this building. It's all places to work. And he says that he has gifted us by his grace. Each one of us has received the gifting of God through the Holy Spirit to be used for the building of others. You've heard me say it. 10,000 times in the last 11 years, and I'll say it again. Every gift that God's ever given you and I has been given so we would give it away. Every gift has been given so we would use it for the benefit of others, not for our own glory, our own power, our own esteem. And he says that we should approach this attitude of giving, why? So it's faithful stewards of God's grace. So the world knows who God is. So they realize, wow, if God can take a guy like Mark Christian and give him something that would be useful, he obviously can do it with me, right? And he's calling each one of us to use that gifting. You may say it's small and tiny, but please understand every facet of a building is necessary to keep it together. Verse 11 and following. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. The fulcrum on which our lives will always teeter and totter is Jesus. Following by faith, we'll go into the strength of a new life and a new power, and he will join us and connect us together as a body is connected with no part unnecessary. Now I wanna jump down to chapter five. And I have leaped by a few passages in chapter five, not because they're unimportant, but I felt like to wrap this series up, I wanted to focus on this last piece more intently. Peter talks in the first seven verses about how the elders and the fathers of the church are to protect and provide and care for and how we're to honor them and trust them. And we'll be, we'll be speaking to that directly. But let's read verses eight through 11. Be alert and of sober mind. Notice Peter's got a note here, doesn't he? It's the second time he's told us this. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion, a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. And the God of all grace, 
who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And Peter concludes his teaching. He's told us one more time, be alert, pay attention, be of sober mind. Now there's something inside me that compels me to say this. Sober mind doesn't mean you're stuffy. Sober mind doesn't mean you don't smile. There is no sourpuss award given in the kingdom of heaven. That brother hasn't smiled in 22 years. He must really be holy. No, there is joy in following Jesus. Sober means we're undistracted by the things we put into our mind and heart. And anything that distracts us or numbs us from the importance of the gospel needs to be removed as a sacrifice that's unnecessary to our lives any longer. We sacrifice it, we put it to death, that we might walk by the Spirit. And I'll, I'll tell you what, if you do walk by the Spirit of Christ, you'll be the happiest person anyone's ever met. Because what, what brings you joy in your soul can never be taken from you. The things that makes me happy in the world are all at risk every single day. But also remember that busyness doesn't placate God's expectations for us. To be able to say, well, I'm just too busy, I'm just too distracted, this is what Peter is calling us away from. Pay attention. This is important. Remember, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Then he says, show courage. In verse 9, resist him, standing firm in the faith. It's going to take some action to set our feet. It's going to take a strong reaction to keep them there. It's going to take faith that Jesus Christ is faithful when we are persecuted and challenged and threatened. Look in the book of Acts. Every time the disciples were threatened, they actually found great joy in realizing they did this to Jesus. It must mean we're doing the right things. Uh, Let's not be persecuted because we're obnoxious. And let's not be persecuted because we have to be right. Let's stand up for the glory of the gospel and let the world know that the things of the world don't last, but only what Jesus Christ has done lasts. And should they persecute us? And should we lose things because of our faith? We stand firm that no matter what happens in this lifetime, Jesus' promises are true. Resistance can empower us if we're resisting for the gospel. See, we can say no, but the mere power to say no must come by holding on to Jesus Christ first and the spirit working in us. And then he concludes by telling us to find our strength in Jesus. And this is where we began and this is where we'll end. This is the reason I chose First Peter. Because under the duress we were all experiencing over the last seven weeks, with all of the changes and all of the unknowns, when people keep saying, when will this end and how will this end and what will it be like when it does end, none of us can truly answer that. God has not revealed that to anybody. And those that are suggesting they know, I, I hope most of them are wrong based on what they're saying. I want to believe that we can overcome this and overcome and not lose anything of importance and lose all the unimportant things. But I do want to say this to us as a church as we conclude this. The God of all grace has not abandoned us. The God of all grace has not forgotten us. The God of all grace is for us. And even though we go through the shadows and we go through the valley of the shadow of death and we are threatened by things that show our mortality, remember there is an immortality in our hope. We are bigger and stronger in Christ than any threat that comes our way. The God of all grace will restore us. He will strengthen us. He will establish us. He will make us steadfast. Notice that he will do the work. We need to be sober and alert 
looking for the work of the gospel in the midst of the work of Satan. So what are we supposed to do with all this? You see, when he tells us that he'll restore us, that what I wanna say to you is if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, your hope can be placed on one man who is guaranteed to deliver every promise if you will give him your full-hearted trust. So I'm gonna call some of us who have listened now for week after week after week, is Jesus your hope? If he is not, call his name, offer yourself to him. Not just as a token event, but actually say, I wanna become a follower of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be perfect and you're certainly not good enough to be able to, but through his Holy Spirit and his love that forgives, you can be his follower. To those that will strengthen us, I'm calling on each one of us today to repent of those things that we think we need that actually make Jesus take second place. I'm calling on us to pray for healing and direction and strength that only Jesus can provide. He will establish us, join into this community of faith, join into a local congregation of belief and participate fully. Don't just observe, but be a part. Join us in this journey together on this pathway of following Christ where I strengthen you and you strengthen me and together, unified, we go forward toward a greater goal than the world offers. And he will make us steadfast. Join us in building the kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus, no one else's. Not mine, not yours, not ours, his. Join in that work. Be steadfast and be courageous to do what the gospel requires of all of us. We have gathered around elements that we use each and every week. But I want you to understand that what Peter has called us to is exactly what the Lord's table invites us to. There's nothing that's lost in this. Think about it. He promises that he will restore us. And through the elements that represent the body and blood of Jesus Christ, those who enter into that relationship by faith are restored and replenished and renewed and we're known and we're loved. He will strengthen us. Each time we remember the sacrifice that he's made, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim first to ourselves and then to everyone we gather with, we proclaim his death until he comes again. He will establish us. He said that night that he took those elements and created what we call communion, the Lord's Supper or gathering around the table of Jesus. When we gather around, he said, I will eat and drink of this again with you in a future day when I reestablish my kingdom, and that's what our hope is in. So no threat of this world lasts because Jesus is enough and he will make us steadfast. When we all take today this bread and this juice in whatever form we've chosen, when we eat and drink together, we're reminded that we have been invited into his great banquet and his kingdom. You are his daughter, you are his son. You are my sister and you are my brother and I am your brother. And we have been brought together by the promise that Peter gave us from the beginning. Let the world give us its best or worst. Jesus is greater than all of it. Today we eat and drink to our King Jesus, our hope, the one who changes our today, the one who forgives our yesterday and the one who gives us a tomorrow, a greater tomorrow than we ever imagined. Let's thank him as we take these elements. Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming. Holy Spirit, thank you for teaching us that we might in these symbols experiencing something so much deeper 
than these elements could possibly do, that no ceremony could accomplish. Today, we eat and drink with millions of people across the globe who will eat and drink this truth. Jesus, you have done the work. You have finished the work. You have brought victory. And we eat and drink today in the celebration of the victory of Jesus Christ, which in some loving, forgiving way is our victory too. Jesus, thank you. Father, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you for your church. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.